Thanks for joining us. Um, so I, I, I guess I'll start with the, 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 the most controversial. So you announced yesterday that you were going to remove road tolls and basically because there's heavy vehicular traffic, lengthens travel time, impacting negatively on time and productivity, which we all agree. But we do know that in the past few years, you've been receiving healthy amounts from the road toll. So, for example, I know that uh, you got how much did you get could you last year? About um, seventy, or almost seventy-two. About seventy-two million CDs last year from from the road toll. Yeah, and sixty something the previous year. So, just walk us through <coughs> the consideration and why is it that you are going to remove the road toll and get the money from the e-levy, or you get the money from somewhere else? Yes, uh, um, thank you very much, uh, Bernard. Uh, let's, uh, yes, like you rightly said, we had we looked at the road toll situation very closely, and to be honest, I was quite surprised that we only generate seventy-eight or seventy-two million. I think this year is projected to be seventy-eight. No, sorry, next year is projected to be about seventy-eight million CDs. And if you look at that, uh, um, essentially, it's less than about uh, what ten, eight, eight, eight or seven million. Cities a month, and when you look at a country like ours, and you look at the amount of agro and delays and loss of productivity that these tolls bring, it makes you wonder if it's worth it and the amount collected. So we we took a critical look at it and realized that there must surely be a better way to do this. And um, we also have. Most of that money goes to the road tolls, goes to the road fund, and is supposed to be used in addition to the road fuel levy, uh, the road fund levy on fuel to um, pay for road maintenance. So we were like, surely there must be a more efficient way to do this. So the, uh, the conclusion was that we would use a portion of the e-levy to uh, make up for the loss from the tolls as far as the road fund is concerned, to allow them to continue to do what they have to do. And we felt that that also would be a much more democratic way of generating some revenue to support the construction of roads and for road maintenance. I mean, 80%, I think, of the questions that come up in Parliament that are addressed to the finance minister and the road minister about roads. Every MP is concerned about roads in his constituency. Every constituency wants roads. Whether it's a feeder road in the rural areas or it's a highway in the urban areas. I mean, roads bring about progress, productivity. It enhances the values of all the structures around there. It, it can totally transform a place, not to mention the fact that it allows for the evacuation of goods and reduces the cost of um, and transportation and the price of, of food. So it is really a key part of the infrastructure if you want to be a country that is progressing and developing. And we need to find a way to pay for it. And we need to find a way that is efficient and effective and democratic. Okay, let's deal with some of the revenue measures one by one. I think that the most anticipated was the temporary benchmark uh, discount policy, which you have reversed. Um, you were balancing the AGI view versus the Guta view. Give us some insight into why you decided to reverse that, because you only announced it in April 2019. The vice president announced that 
with a lot of applause and screams at a program that we covered live. So what has changed in those two years for you to now reverse it? Sure. First and foremost, one of the main reasons we implemented it was because we were concerned about the high incidence of smuggling. There was reason to believe that a lot of goods were being routed through uh, Togo, which is a free port, and then being crossed over you know, the, our borders, which where security may be quite uh, lax. And so um, we were assured by the industry players that this smuggling will reduce considerably because the reason why people were convinced to take that risk was because uh, our duties were too high. And so that was, and, and they also assured us that that would then translate into lower prices of goods and and. and, and products in the country. So we, we, we did some analysis and some research, and there was the belief that that was true. And so we decided that we would reverse the benchmark values, assuming that the reduction in the the, the benchmark values, which will, will, would mean a reduction in duty, customs duty collected, will be more than offset by the increase in the amount of goods that will come through our ports. And for the, ne- the next two years, or for the past two years, we've been studying this, and unfortunately, that gain has never materialized. On top of that, the price transfer or the reduction in prices to the finished goods on the markets never happened either. So essentially, the importers kept that, that upside. Thirdly, in the, in also over the next the last two, three years, we have entered into automobile manufacturing domestically for one. And we've also realized that this policy had an adverse effect on import substitution initiatives. And a lot of local producers of goods and services were adversely affected. Case in point is, you know, palm oil producers who had set up huge factories and were using locally grown palm to make oil, which was an input into a lot of variety of products. And now all of a sudden, it was much cheaper to bring in imported palm oil and and finished products than it was to produce locally, which led to a huge loss of jobs. Similar with the, you know, now we have a Toyota Toyota manufacturing plant, Volkswagen, and you can imagine the impact on that if now I can bring in a car at a 30% discount on Facebook benchmark values and trying to compete against locally produced cars. I mean, they didn't stand a chance. So, you know, we took all those things into effect and came up with the decision that it hadn't achieved the desired results. And so we needed to look at it and reverse it. And that's essentially what we're doing. Fair enough. Let's look at your electronic transactions levy. At paragraph 315 says, after considerable deliberation, government has decided to place a levy on all electronic transactions to widen the tax net and rope in the informal sector. This shall be known as the electronic transaction levy or e-levy. And then you go on to explain that it will cover mobile money payments, bank transfers, merchant payments, and inward remittances will be charged at applicable rate of 1.5%. I mean, this, this is serious because a year ago, the vice president was very categorical that this was not the way to go. And I'm sure you know that he said this. This was in August, where he said that taxing mobile money beyond what we already had was going to be counterproductive. So what has changed between what the vice president said last year and what you are doing this year? Yes, Bernard, that's a very good point. And um, 
But he concluded by saying it will be counterproductive because it will adversely affect the poor, and the poor were the ones who, who you were the majority of the users of mobile money. And that is why we have exempted the first 100 cities per day from uh, this levy, because of the fact that we want to make sure that the vulnerable in society are excluded, and also that it does not deter or delay the financial inclusion drive. Um, we did some surveys and some analysis, and we realized that about 40% of transfers are below 100 CDs. So essentially, 40% of the, the populace are protected from this uh, levy. And so we believe that that by far takes care of the vulnerable in society who we are very keen to protect. Now, with regards to the reason and the rationale behind this, I think, you know, Bernard, it is very clear that in the uh, very, very, um, um, uh, should I say, we are really very challenged in terms of generating the right amount of tax that we should as a nation of 30 million people. And that is why we are forced to have to borrow so much. If you look at our tax to GDP, tax revenue to GDP today, it stands at about 12.7, 12.9%. It's under 13%. Now, just to put that in perspective, every 1% of, let's let's next year, our target GDP is 500 billion cities, nominal GDP. 1% of 500 billion cities is 5 billion. So for every 1% of GDP, I increase my tax revenue by, I get 5 billion. South Africa has a tax revenue to GDP of 26.7% as of 2019. Um, Senegal, which is our neighbors, has a tax to GDP of 16.4. Um, Kenya has about a 16% tax to GDP. In 2018, average tax to GDP for the whole of Africa was about 16.5, sub-Saharan Africa, 30 countries. So if we are 13, you know, we are way below the average, and we and we should be more like 17, 18. If you take 17, 18%, that's about five percentage points more than where we are today, multiplied by five billion per percentage. That's 25 billion CDs more we should be collecting on our revenue side that we are not because of the size of our informal economy and the, uh, the, the lack of the structures and the identification measures to be able to to tax people. So that puts it into perspective. And to go even further, you know, Bernard, there are only 2.3 million people who are paying taxes today, carrying the burden of the whole country. Compare that to a registered population, voter population of 17 million people. Compare that further to 17 million, about, sorry, 19 million active Momo subscribers as of September this year. And that tells you that there's something wrong with this whole but, but Charles, if, if you say yes. only 2.3 million people are paying taxes, that may be misleading because there are three kinds of taxes. I'm sure you know that there are direct taxes. No, sorry, this is personal income tax. Sorry. Uh-huh. So if you say right. only 2 million people are paying... Let me, let me finish, Bernard, please. Mm-hmm. Let me finish. So then you have only 45,000 entities that are registered as corporate taxpayers. 45,000, the whole country. In fact, when we checked at the Register General, there are only 136,000 registered businesses at the Register General. And there are only 54,364 people registered as self-employed taxpayers at the Ghana Revenue Authority. So, you know, 
I think this puts it into perspective. I mean, the number that really scared me was 136,198 entities registered businesses. So that is a whole universe of registered businesses. And then those that are self-employed, only 54,000 out of 17 million registered voters and 19 million uh, uh, mobile subscribers. There's something really wrong with this picture. And so we have to come up with what we thought was a way to be able to democratize tax tax revenue collection. And it seemed like the only effective way to do so without having to roll out some significant infrastructure was something that was tied to mobile money. Yeah, but but my challenge with this is that if you say only 2.3 million people are paying personal income taxes, in Ghana, we have our tax structure is that we have more of our taxes being the indirect type, the consumption taxes than the direct taxes. So that's number one. So that means that more than probably 10 million people are paying indirect taxes every day. All right. These are taxes on transactions, taxes on buying VAT and all the others. That's point number one. Point number two, if you look at our 2019 figures, we actually made more money from indirect taxes than direct taxes, which buttresses the point I just made. So if you are now going to apply a tax on mobile money payments, bank transfers, merchant payments, inward remittances, these are all transaction taxes. So you're basically not changing the tax structure. You are wasting it because you are. these are not personal income taxes you are charging, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you are essentially worsening a situation that you described as problematic because you've said that in Ghana, the personal income taxes are not many and we pay a lot of indirect taxes. The taxes, the e-levy are also indirect in a way because they are transaction taxes. So you are not actually correcting the problem. You are worsening it. No, no. First place, um, indirect taxes in quantum may be higher than personal income tax. But in terms of penetration, that penetration is less than 16% in this country. You know, and so if you even look at NHIL and all those type of taxes that are collected, they're all on the back of your VAT receipts. And that tells you what your penetration is. In, in addition to that, there's a lot of stuff that is not caught in the VAT net. If I go into a market and make some purchases, I don't pay VAT on, on, on the produce that I buy there. So I think we should look at it in that light. Then additionally, to your point about, you know, uh, uh, this uh, uh, levy being an indirect levy, we looked at the analysis and and we found out that of your type of transactions, the two predominant reasons why people use uh, Momo is either to um, purchase a good and a service or to transfer money to um, a beneficiary, you know, be it a relative or whatever. So it's sort of almost like a charity type of situation. Now, typically, these goods or services that were being paid for are typically stuff that in a brick and mortar economy would have incurred a VAT. But because of this transition onto uh, 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 digital platforms, which was accelerated with the COVID pandemic, we, we are losing out in these brick and mortar transactions, which either there to, we could have generated some VAT and so forth. from. And so, in a, in a sense, this is a way to be able to recoup on that. 
But and, and that's another reason why we are not charging the same VAT of 18 or 19 percent because we do understand that in those transactions, maybe some transactions that are not necessarily the purchase of a good and service. So rather than slap the 17 or 18 percent on it, we are saying pay 1.75. On, on, on this transaction, and it's only attributed to the sender. So 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 that was the rationale behind it. Oh, fair enough. So we already have CST on... Uh, it's a service tax that uh, telcos collect. Then you have, from the list I have, the Momo payment, bank transfers, merchant payments, inward remittances, and then the charge that the Momo companies charge us already right now i, I mean the the, the 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 irony is that again like, sorry i keep using the vice president because he seems to be the one who champions a lot of the initiatives a couple of weeks ago he made a, a big lecture on the digital economy and interoperability and how the digitalized economy was going to bring the growth we all sought so essentially he was saying that the answer to some of our economic challenges was the digital space there are many commentators who feel that the, the multiplicity of taxes applied at the same time on mobile transactions will defeat the digitalization agenda of the government. I don't know if you analyze that and whether you, you are convinced that this is not going to be counterproductive, just like some of the things we've done in the past. The benchmark reduction, 2019, we said we've reduced it. Two years later, we've eaten humble pie. We've reversed it. Some people think that this is the same thing you're doing. You will realize that this will become counterproductive. You will discourage Momo transactions. A lot of the Momo agents may lose work. And then you come back and eat humble pie and remove it. And it may be too late. Thanks, Bernard. Um, first and foremost, let me clarify. Bank transfers are not included in this tax. Um, um, and se Secondly, I, I get your point about uh, uh, if this will not be counterproductive. And, you know... To be honest, and I'm sure you remember this, this is not the first time we've looked at this opportunity. We started analyzing um, uh, mobile money transactions and the whole e-space e electronic transactions from 2017. We engaged far and wide. And I remember in a series of discussions with the telcos, their main uh, concern was that the industry was still nascent, it hadn't matured, and so we needed to be very careful of of stifling growth and killing it before it became a mature uh, uh, industry. And we took all that into account and decided to take a step back. But for now, you can't make that argument any longer. If you look at the value of transactions, back in 2016, we had 78.5 billion CDs worth of transactions. Um, on, on Momo platforms. In 2020, we did 564 billion. In 2021, we are estimating that we'll do over 900 billion based on September figures for the year. This is more than a 10, 11 times growth in the space of five years. In terms of subscription numbers, we have over 45 million Momo subscribers, of which 19 million are active. Compare that to a mature industry, which is your voice uh, telco subscribers, which is sitting at 41 million active subscribers, 41 million active subscribers in Ghana. And, 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 and that tells you that this industry is now more than mature, and it has become the go-to option for 
any type of transaction. And the convenience it brings is unprecedented. And the savings we make in not having to now get a trotro and go to come and pick up payment. My capital doesn't have to sit in a trotro and come all the way to my house to come and pick a payment for some work he's done. More than makes up for, you know, the the the, the cost of using a Momo tra- uh, platform and paying a 1.75 levy on it. And that, that that was the rationale we put behind. We are very, very concerned about killing a, an industry and depriving people of jobs. But we do believe that the, the industry is so mature and has become an integral part of our lives that the switching costs are so high that nobody is going to do that. And I think it's also been accelerated by COVID. COVID really got us very comfortable with um, doing things online and transacting online and, and, and working virtually. You know, even my mother has gone and signed up for a Momo account because, you know, she's like, oh, you know, you don't have to come, just send me Momo. And we are done. You know, so I, I think that when you have an 80-year-old woman adopt a new technology, it tells you how mainstay the technology has become and that has become part of our normal day, day-to-day lives. Just a final clarification on the e-levy. Then we move something else. So, if I if I send Kojo a thousand CDs this morning, I'm already charged ten CDs, which is one percent as my charge. With what you are introducing as your electronic levy, you said it affects Momo payments, merchant payments, and inward remittances. Except that the one point seven five percent is borne by the sender, and then the inward remittance is borne by the recipient. So, first clarification: inward remittance is what I receive from abroad. Right, so yeah, that one, correct. that so if, if my brother sends me money and I receive it via Momo inwardly, I pay the tax because he's in a different country. You can't charge him. But yes, if I send Kojo thousand, the one point seven five is it on the ten CD charge that MTN would take, or on the thousand? So it's that thousand. so so I'm paying ten CDs to MTN for sending Kojo thousand CDs, and I also pay um, seventeen point five CDs. To government, so it means I'm paying twenty-seven point five cities for the thousand city transaction. Yes. Wow. And then you're yes. saying that if I send Kojo hundred cities, my first hundred cities will not attract this payment. Yes. But if I send him a second hundred cities, it will attract the payment. Yes, correct. Good. So if I want to beat the system, I have to send him hundred cities today. Wait and send another hundred cities tomorrow. So I'll spread his thousand cities for ten days. Exactly. Okay, <laughs> I think that's clear now. Let's go to the other controversial issue of what you call the sad state of taxation in Ghana. Again, I, I found that, okay, what data are we using? Because if you say that Greater Accra pays almost 90% of all the taxes and Kumasi, Takradi and Kofredia pay less than 3%, are you talking about all kinds of taxes or just personal income taxes? Um, those were corporate taxes, I believe. But um, actually, I think that data is a little misleading because, you know, for example, like MTN. MTN is generating revenue in all the regions, but they will make their tax payment at the head office in Accra. So I think we need to do a, a deeper analysis on that. We were provided the information by GRA, but I think we need to do some deeper analysis there to, to, to really understand it better. It's not like companies have subsidiaries that are regionally based, and so we pay for that subsidiary in that region or that uh, constituency. So I think it may be a little misleading, and so we should, uh, we should do some further analysis on it. 
I see. So we should wait because at the Kumasi people are going to. In fact, the Kumasi government show was wild today <laughs> when you said. Yeah, 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 I've done a lot of uh, you know very upset uh, Kumasianos, you know, Kumericans as we call them. But um, you know, um, I think it 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 does. Despite that fact, I I believe that Kumasi can do more when it comes to paying taxes. So. All right, let's talk about something else. Borrowing. Um, I know that from basic economics, if your planned revenues don't meet the, the expenditure that you want to do, you have a deficit. And you can finance that in many ways. We've tended to finance that in the past few years by going to borrow money from the international bond market. Um, what is the plan for this deficit because i from the budget you said there's going to be another deficit is yeah. the main source of financing going to be the bond market or there are other ways you are hoping to 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 finance that deficit great 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 good question now now let me i, I think we should be clear about something i know very few countries in the world that run that don't run a deficit economy and so long as you're running a deficit economy you make up that difference by borrowing or maybe getting some, in fact, if you get grants, it's on your revenue side. So essentially, even diversity receipts will be on your revenue side. So essentially, if you're running a deficit, essentially what that means is that you're borrowing to make up the difference. So let's get that out of the way. Now, having said that, we, if you look at our deficit target for the year, I think it's about 7.4. 7.4 of 500 billion brings you to about 30 something, 32, 30 odd billion CDs in terms of the deficit in nominal value. Now, how are we going to finance that? We have put in the budget external financing of about $750 million. We've also put in the budget another $750 million of SDRs, which we got already we were given about a billion dollars of SDRs early on in the year, which we haven't touched because, one, it wasn't in our budget for 2021, and two, we thought it would be prudent to hold on to it and use it to augment our financing for next year. So essentially, next year, the international financing we have to do is $750 million. Um, of that $750 million, the idea is, depending on market conditions, we may either do um, a euro bond, or if the markets are still quite bad, we'll do some kind of term loan or syndicated loan, which we can do through a club of international banks. And in fact, this is essentially what we did. If you recall, two years ago, before we went to the euro bond market, we put in place a bridge loan facility in case the markets turned whilst we were on a roadshow, we could draw down on that. So this is, and that bridge loan facility had the, uh, option to convert it into a term loan if we felt that um, we, we had to draw down on it and the market conditions did not improve in the short term. So essentially, that's the plan. The balance of the financing for that 30-odd billion we need would come from the domestic markets, which has proven to be deep enough to support that kind of uh, borrowing um, going forward. Let me just be clear. So external financing is $1.5 billion is it dollars? Dollars, yes. And then that the rest will be domestic. Yes. Wow. And the the gap is thirty billion cities. Yes. So one point five billion dollars is about fifteen billion cities. 
So then you have about 15 billion that you finance domestic. So let's take it one by one. Seven fifty million dollars will come from special drawing rights of the IMF. Yes, please. Um, it is already sitting in Bank of Ghana. I know. The, the IMF question is always a complicated question because when we ask, "Are you going back to the IMF?" People say we are not going back to IMF. That suggests you are not going back on a new IMF program, but that the SDR is something that all IMF members have access to. Yes, but you and need to. A special but, allocation that was given last year to African countries, you know, as part of this sort of response to COVID. But every country was given a different amount, I guess. Yes. So we, our, our allocation came up to about a billion dollars. I think it was about seven hundred and forty something SDR special drawing rights, which at the at the rate at the time translated to about a billion dollars. So we cannot technically say we have not gone to the IMF. We have gone to the IMF because we needed we need them to help finance about twenty five percent of our deficit. What we said was that we are not going into an IMF program. You know, um, getting financing from the IMF without any strings attached can essentially be akin to going to get some concessional financing on a bilateral basis from you know, the World Bank or the uh, or another country, you know. So um, it's not seen as going to the IMF in that sense. The other thing that I find interesting is the 750 million you are looking for from external sources other than IMF, which you said it could either be an euro bond or a term loan or syndicated loan. I mean, how did our fortunes in the bond market become so bad so suddenly because you you i don't know if the last time we spoke you were talking about how our uh our attempt to get money was oversubscribed and all of that but i mean look our risk premium has soared to their highest since the start of the pandemic and i mean the premium in investors demand to hold our debt has climbed by almost 150 basis points in october mm -hmm. the highest since may 2020 mm -hmm. um if you look at the attitude of um, lenders to our debt, you know, it suggests that they think Ghana's... I don't know, I don't know what to even use. We are, we, are, we are seen as distressed. In fact, if, if you read a Goldman Sachs analysis, it said Ghana mostly stands out for its fiscal risks, with the IMF projecting that it will have one of the widest deficits of any EM high yield than next year and uh, losses on our sovereign bonds in 2021 have exceeded 10% the fifth worst performance in developing nations according to Bloomberg I mean what why because when you started going to the bond market that's not what you told us a good question Bernard. And, you know um, one thing I should say is that I think this should teach us all a lesson about self-fulfilling prophecies and how we communicate and market ourselves. A lot of the the froth and volatility in the markets, and in Ghana's case specifically, is due to the bad-mouthing that we ourselves do of our own economy, essentially washing our dirty linen in public, which creates angst amongst investors, and they then begin to get very worried about what is going on. 
Anytime somebody in the opposition gets up and says, hey, we are lying about this, or this was not true, or we are going to spend $1.3 billion in acquiring uh, uh, ACA, or we are going to do this, we are going to do that, the market looks back and says, whoa, hey, hey, these guys, Charlie, what are they doing? You know, they're supposed to be going to fiscal consolidation, trying to tighten their belts, and they're going to buy a new private presidential jet. What's, what's, what's happening, you know? And these things then filter into the analysis, and they react. Because if you look at the fundamentals, Bernard, there's no reason why we should be trading so wide to our peers. If there's a general market downturn in emerging markets, which we are seeing across the board, that's fine. Because there's a lot of capital flight back to the U.S. as inflation has increased and, you know, yields have gone up. So people are going back. And that's fine. But then you will see a widening across the board of all emerging market bonds which is the case. But ours have widened a lot more than others. And when you look at the fundamentals in our country, it does not warrant that kind of, of, of spread. No, Charles, I, I, I beg to differ, if you permit me two seconds. Yeah. You are suggesting to me that the reason our fortunes in the bond market have plummeted is because of negative PR. Let me give you some evidence that is to the contrary. The Bank of yeah. Ghana itself, okay, mm-hmm. When the, the 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 governor made his last analysis, he raised questions about the sustainability. Number that was number one. Number two, yeah. our revenue fell short of target by twelve percent for the first seven months of the year. Okay, mm-hmm. so then our debt to GDP rose to eighty one point five. Now I'm not an investment banker, but if any analysis analyzing an economy where your governor has raised questions about their sustainability, your revenue is falling short by, I don't know, almost 34 billion CDs, okay, by 12%. And then you have a debt-to-GDP ratio over 80%. And the IMF is predicting that your deficit is going to widen. These are the fundamentals they look at, whether you'll be able to pay. So I don't know if a debate about the presidential jet or how you, you argue over your politics is what yeah, a serious a, investment but, but, banker will be but, telling his people to, to I, use. If, if, you had, if you had made me finish, you, I would have gotten there. The projections you are talking about were projections that were in the 2021 budget. We knew that this year our debt was going to peak in the high 70s before it would start to decline because of the effect of the pandemic. Our revenue as of uh, uh, maybe seven, uh, seven months was 12% behind target. Now it's eight. And we are still on track to meet our revenue targets for the end of the year. I, I don't know if you know this, but the last quarter of the year is the highest quarter when it comes to revenue. Revenue is not even across the four quarters of the year. The last quarter is always sometimes even twice as much as the quarter before. So we have no doubt that we'll meet that target. On our deficit, we are still on track to meet. In fact, we've came, we came down from a 9.5 deficit at the beginning of the year to 9.4. And the 9.4, we are still on track to meet it by the end of the year. So if all those metrics you are talking about have not changed. Now, a country is thought to be in debt distress if there is a possibility of some maturity coming up in the near term that they cannot service. When you look at our debt profile, because of our student liability management, the next time we have a maturing debt, euro bond coming up for maturity, I think it's in 2023. So even if you're looking at it that way, there is, there's, no, there's no rollover risk coming up or maturity coming up, big maturity coming up that will force me to have to either find money to pay or go to the market to raise funding to do it. 
So I don't understand this whole concept about debt distress. Of course, the Bank of Ghana takes a very conservative position and has always trumpeted debt sustainability. And that is why at the beginning of the year, we said we're going to anchor our budget on debt sustainability because we all understand what that means and how important that is. And that is why in this budget, you've seen that we are posting a positive primary balance and we have brought the the deficit down to about 7.4. And so, you know, if you look at it dispassionately, and I look, I've been an investment banker before. I have sold bonds and raised bonds, and I know exactly what the metrics are and what people look at. So I know that essentially the, ref- the reaction in the markets does not reflect the fundamentals of this economy. And there's something else there that we have to figure out what it is. Well, I mean, you are the investment banker, but for me, we look at the the market is the signal of what your economy means to those who have money. So you may say that the fundamentals don't support that decision or the premium that we pay, our yield curve and the way it's behaving. But obviously, I I don't think Ghana is the only country with animated politics in that group. If you look at the, the list of countries that have been listed, I mean, Ethiopia is there, even Lebanon. I mean, if you look at the, the, the Bloomberg chart on the risk premium on our debt, even we, we are... We are no, 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 we, I don't think Ethiopia has ever gone to the bond market. Please. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the bond market. I'm giving you a chart <laughs> that tells you the premium that borrowers charge for lending to about 12 countries. And Ghana has the highest premium. And that list includes Ethiopia. Yes, but, but those are not... Euro bond. You see, the euro bond market is a capital market transaction. If I'm doing a bilateral deal or I'm doing a deal with um, one of these DFIs or so forth, that's very different. When you look at the capital markets and look at the spreads in the capital markets, that is a reflection of what a whole range of institutional investors and asset managers who are managing serious portfolios of money for uh, clients and who are very quick to pull the trigger based on their conditions, because they, they, are, they, they are operating on a very, very tight perspective in terms of what kind of yields and return that they post. So it, it's a very different situation. And Ghana is one of the very few countries that has this kind of market access in Africa. It's unprecedented. We've gone to the eurobond markets year in, year out for the last three, four years and raise up to three billion every time. There are very few countries in Africa. Maybe maybe that's why maybe that's why the market is reacting the way it is. Maybe we are going there too often. And going there is not necessarily a sign of a good thing. And if your fiscals don't show that you are in a position to handle it, they begin to punish you. So maybe we should stop saying that going to the Eurobond market is a success. But Bernard, isn't that good? Because I think that way then you you see there are two options. Either I get the capital markets to be the ones to, 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 to police me and tell me when they are concerned about what we are doing and what we are not doing, or the IMF, you know? And each, each one will come in with his own set of conditions and tell you to do this or not to do this. And in a sense, you can say that maybe this activity is a way to try and cajole us or push us or nudge us into going into an IMF program. Because for some reason or the other, there's this perception internationally that being an IMF program is good for countries because they can force you to do certain things that you wouldn't necessarily do on your own. I don't ascribe to that. I feel like, you know, we are competent managers of our own economy and we can take the tough decisions, which we've shown in this budget. So, I, I, you see, I, I, don't, I don't see 
you know, why we cannot believe in ourselves. Mm. Well, just to clarify the point, you said Ethiopia doesn't go to the bond market. The chart I have is a Bloomberg chart that is titled Fiscal Risks Makes Ghana's Bonds the Worst Performance. And they use the emerging market US dollar bond returns for October. And on that chart, Ghana is negative 5.8%. Lebanon is negative 5.8%. Ethiopia is 4.8%. Sorry, Tunisia is 4.8%. Ethiopia is 3.7%. Sri Lanka 3.2%. Kenya is 1.5%. All negative. So that's sorry, the, is that is that saying that they've done a euro bond? Have they issued no, but, a euro bond? No, they are just talking about US dollar bond returns. It, it doesn't have to be a euro bond. Exactly. I'm talking about you. Yeah, but but the euro bond is just one one brand. <laughs> they are different. We are talking about the, the general bond market. So a euro bond is just one brand of, of, of bonds that people can go for. I think the point that is being made no, and sorry no, I'm no, I'm no, pushing I, this is basically I, that I, no Charles, just I, give me I, just, I, just I, give I, me I just give me a minute. Yeah. I'm I'm saying that we are paying a higher risk premium for going to the general bond market, whether it's euro bond or whichever bond. That suggests that people who lend on the bond market don't consider Ghana to be a viable person to lend to, and therefore we, we pay a risk premium on the risk they charge for lending to us compared to other comparative countries. I think that point is clear. And they are using our fiscals as the reason. And you're saying there are other reasons, including negative talk and stuff like this. Fair enough. But I'm saying that the numbers I'm giving you are not my numbers. These are Bloomberg numbers. You can check. Bernard, our spreads have widened today that we are trading at maybe three, 400 basis points wider than we normally do. And for that reason, nobody would, nobody would go to the markets today as a country to go and borrow because the premium we'd have to pay is too high. But what I'm saying is that in the past, we've have, for a B-rated country, we were, we were pricing and raising money at some of the best spreads ever. And you can't check. So if you were saying where the markets are today, yes, certainly. We are, our spreads are widening extensively, and we are looking like, you know, it will pay a premium going to the market today. But we are not going to the market today. And I am saying that. If next year these conditions remain, we will not go to the market because the market is not really reflecting what we believe is the true cost of capital for Ghana. And for some reasons that they know that we don't know. Yes, we have some challenges. So does everybody else who is in a post-COVID environment. In fact, some people are a lot worse off than we are. We managed to actually eke out the positive growth last year of 0.4%. Tell me how many countries managed to do that. And even our management of the COVID pandemic has been exceptional. But, you you know, hey, maybe there are other reasons. But, yes, there are challenges, and we are managing them. And that is why, even on the revenue side, we have had to take some of these tough decisions to be able to raise the amount of revenue to allow us to borrow less and be able to also service our debts. You know, our interest expense is quite high, and our salaries, between salaries and interest expense, it essentially covers 90, 100% of our revenue. And so if we don't tackle the revenue issue, we would find ourselves in a worse situation. And hence the reason to try and spread the tax net through this 1.75 levy, e-levy, which I am asking all Ghanaians to support us to do, so we don't find ourselves in a worse situation. Just a final clarification. <clears throat> if people want me to ask you, you know Ghana is encouraging people to make tax payments using the Ghana.gov platform. They are wondering if people use Momo to pay tax. That tax transaction would also be taxed, just to be clear, because there sorry, people have. Sorry, just to clarify, mm -hmm. you, 
Ethiopia actually has issued a euro bond. Sorry. Aha. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. that one. Good. Yeah. So people are wondering whether you know we're encouraging people to use mobile means to pay tax. Makes it easier. GRE has started that. People want me to clarify from you. If they did that, will that tax payment be considered a taxable transaction? Great. And just before that, let me just also clarify that Ethiopia, in addition to Chad and Zambia, also applied for debt relief and debt strike restriction under the DSSI. So they technically have admitted defaulting or essentially in a default situation post the uh, mm. COVID pandemic due to COVID. We didn't do that. Okay. Uh, yeah, but, but Charles, if you want to stress that Ethiopia have applied for that and yet we still pay more for our, our borrowing than they do in terms of the risk premium on ours. So that tells you how serious this is. Yeah, but we are not paying more. When you say we pay more, it's as if we have gone to We are not paying more. We are still paying the same what we are paying when we issue the bonds. You know, when you issue a bond, if you issue a bond at a 7% coupon, you pay 7% on it. The price that is reflected on the market is the price that if somebody wants to buy the bonds in the secondary market, will pay. But as far as Ghana is concerned, we are still paying the 7%. It's only if we did a new issue today that it will price at these higher interest rates and uh, our interest bill will be higher. And that's why we won't go to the market today. Fair enough. Will there be... So will, question about Ghana. Yes. There will no, there'll be, no, there'll be no levy on payments of taxes and other um, uh, statutory obligations through the Ghana.gov um, platform. Finally, so what, what, is, what is the message to Ghanaians? The, the budget had many pages and many paragraphs. If there's one thing you want Ghanaians to take home from the finance ministry about the coming year and the plans, what is the most important message? I think the most important message is that we need to we need the support and buying of every Ghanaian to be able to continue to deliver and provide the benefits and the social benefits that we've been doing all these years. And the way we can do that is through all paying our fair share and forbidding sharing. We also want the Ghanaian people to understand that we appreciate their plight and their challenges. We are all very concerned about the high youth unemployment, and we are coming up with some solutions to generate the jobs and the entrepreneurial activity that we believe is the only way to get us out of this. And without the support of each and every one of us, this is going to be very hard to do, you know? And so it is very, very, very... It's, it's, it's about unity and us all coming together collectively to put put to put this country on a path of growth and development. 